I love the series we're in. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Colossians chapter 2, but every year we do a, a summer reading plan series, and it's where we look at one book of the Bible and just go verse by verse through that book, and I love this. When I was a pastor, I was an expository preacher. Preacher, I would, uh, I would pick out a book of the Bible, and we would preach all the way through it, however long it took me. And actually, if I'm being honest, the passage I'm going to preach today, we're doing uh, Colossians 2, 6 through 23. That would have been three sermons for me in my past, and we're going to do it in one today. So, uh, But I used to would, would preach through books of the Bible because I think it's the best way to learn the Word of God. I think it's a way to, to look at things that you may not would always look at when you're doing that. And so I love it when we do these series here at City Church and, and, and get to go through the books of the Bible. It always brings out new things that I hadn't caught before. So I've been studying up on Colossians, and, and our pastor preached the first two weeks leading us up to this point. Um, I'm, uh, just to make you aware, we, Colossians was a book written by Paul and, and Timothy helped, but it's while he was in prison and he, he wrote it to the church in Colossae. Um, there was some stuff going on in that day where, where there were a lot of different people trying to change who Christ was. There were some that were trying to make Jesus take away his deity. He's not really God. He was just a really good man. There were others who were trying to take away his humanity. He was God, but he was not really fully man. And, the, and then there were those that were trying to add things to the gospel and those that were trying to say, yeah, but you've got to also follow these rules and all that was going on. And so Christ, um, Christ, Paul wrote this book to talk about Christ and who he is completely. Um, Pastor Troy taught us that Colossians is, is known for a high Christology. It's known for uh, talking a lot about Christ, who the Christ is, who the Messiah is. What does that mean to us in our daily lives? And this is a very powerful section that we're about to read here in chapter 2. But he taught us, Pastor Troy taught us the purpose of Colossians. And I am, I, I believe strongly as he taught in, in the first week that the key verse in Colossians is in one uh, eighteen, where he talks about that, that Christ might have the preeminence, that Jesus is preeminent in everything, that he is, basically he's the center of everything. He is the top dog. He's, he's what it's all about. And when we lose that sometimes, and it's so easy to do in our world, we sometimes lose focus of where we should be. And it's so easy to get mixed up in the false teachings of this world of what's popular or what's cool or what, what, what our friends are doing or our family's doing. And, and it's so easy to get caught up in those things that seem good. They, they look good. They sound really good on the surface, but they take away from who Jesus is. And they take us down a path that is not his best for us. So the purpose of Colossians here is this, as Pastor Troy taught us, to declare the preeminence of Christ. Paul is confronting a dangerous new teaching that is threatening the church at Colossae by trying to lessen Jesus' role and undermining the Colossians' identity in Christ. Paul writes to confront that teaching, reaffirm Jesus' role, and rebuild their identity in Christ. So the first week, Pastor Troy looked at the very beginning of Colossians 1, and he talked about Jesus is first. And in Jesus being first, he taught us those, there's two things about that. Jesus is more, and Jesus is before. He's more than anything else we'd ever need or want. He comes before everything else in our lives. Jesus is, is the reason for it all. Jesus is first. And in the second week, Pastor Troy taught us last week that Christ in you 
through the Holy Spirit, does four things. He taught first about Jesus as first, then he taught Christ in you. And Christ in you, through the Holy Spirit, does four things for you. It empowers you, it encourages you, it unites you, and it abides, and he abides with you. Christ in you empowers you, encourages you, unites you, and abides with you. And so these are important things that we've learned so far in Colossians. And we looked at that. Jesus is first. Christ is in you. And this week, I want you to look at in Christ alone. I want you to see that Jesus is the center of everything in our Christian life, in our life, if you are a Christian. Uh, it's, it's not, there's not really a difference in the Christian life and regular life if you're a Christian. It's just life. <laughs> if you're not a Christian, there's a big difference. But I want us to look at today as we go through these verses, and normally what I would do when I'm preaching through a book of the Bible like this is I would take, a, I would take it and I would break it down into little sections, and then I would come up with a point for each of those sections and, and hit on those as I go through. Today, what we're going to do is a little different. I'm going to follow the model that our pastor's doing, and as I was studying for this, it just really seemed to fit to do this, so that's why I went this way, but... But we're going to read through, and in each verse, we'll talk a little bit about it. And at the very end, I'm going to give you three points for, for application, three points for encouragement um, of, of where we ought to be in Christ alone. So if you've got your Bibles, Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6, it says this, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. See, if you are a born-again believer in Jesus, if you are a Christian, then that means at some point you came to Jesus and you began your Christian life through Jesus. At some point, you recognized that you were a sinner, that you had sin in your life, and you need to be forgiven. At some point, you realized that you needed more than what you were, more than what you had, and you wanted the hope of Jesus, and you invited Jesus to come into your life and be the Lord, the master of your life. Now, Paul is saying here, just as you receive Jesus, continue to live in him. Jesus was how you became saved. Jesus was the reason you became saved. Jesus was the reason you wanted to change your lifestyle. And he said, continue to do this. Continue to live the same way as when you first became a Christian. It reminds me of what John wrote in, in Revelation chapter 2. And it's actually Jesus speaking to the church of Laodicea. And, and he said, in, in, and he, he starts off talking to this church in Revelation chapter 2. And he, he tells them what a great church they were. They're doing so many great things. And they're, they're recognized for their faithfulness and their love and their devotion. And it's an amazing church. And then he says in verse 4 this, nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. Jesus says, hey, you're a wonderful church. You're doing amazing things, but you've forgotten where you came from. You've forgotten who you were. You've forgotten what was the most important thing in your life at one point. Do you remember what it was like when you first fell in love? Man, isn't that an amazing feeling? I... Um, the, most of you probably know this, or maybe a couple that don't, but my, my wife and I actually, we, we divorced at one point. After 20 years of marriage, we went through a divorce, and then we remarried. And, and, uh, and I had to learn some things over again. And this passage actually in Revelation was a sermon I'd preached years before that, and, then, and it hit me again in a whole new way after we divorced, and I realized that I'd messed up. And I went to pursuing my wife again. And you know, there, there's things that we men do in the beginning. We're hunters. And we just do all kind of stuff to win our wives, to, to, win our, to win that girl we're after. Man, and I would do anything for my wife back then. I, I, I mean, I acted a fool at times. 
And, and I mean, let's face it, there wasn't, you know, I didn't have a lot to offer. I mean, I'm not the greatest catch in the world. Well, better than some of y'all, but I'm, I'm not, no, I'm kidding, but I'm not the greatest catch in the world, but I am, but somehow I was able to win this beautiful girl and she wanted to be with me, but I was doing everything I could to convince her that I was the right guy. You know, I tried to lock her in the basement. That didn't work. So I just decided I had to be nice to her instead. So we started, I mean, I was, but, but it was crazy. She, she, I was going to college about an hour from where she lived. I, she didn't go to the same college. And, and I would drive from college to her house several times a week to see her or have her come there and I'd help her out, whatever. I just wanted to see her as much as I could. And then I took a semester off. And when I did, I was living back here in Olive Branch and we were about an hour and a half away from each other. And I was, I was working a job. I'd get off work in the evenings, drive an hour and a half to her house and hang out until it was time to come home, come home, get some sleep, go to work. And then three or four times a week, at least I was going to her house because I wanted to spend as much time with her as I could. We went to the Mid-South Fair back when it was at the Mid-South Fairgrounds in Memphis up, and we had Liberty Land and, and some of you don't remember that but it was, I loved it and I looked forward to the fair every year and we would go and you had to park in people's yards all over the place and we, we long walks and we, would, we went and found a parking spot, walked to the fair, we walked around and she loves stuffed animals. If you ever come to our house you'll see there's a ton of them in, in, in our room but there's We've got in storage a whole lot more that have not been looked at in years, and yet they're still there. And, but we were walking around the fair, and there was this one stuffed animal that she really wanted. And I wasn't a big game player, to be honest. I didn't like spending the money. But I sat there, and I didn't have a lot of money. And I played, and I played, and I was almost there, but I didn't quite win it. I ran out of money. We actually left the fair, walked all the way to our car, drove three or four miles till I found an ATM because back then they didn't have ATMs inside the fair. There's a lot of things they didn't have back then that were convenient. So I drove till I found an ATM that I could get money out with. I got $50 out, went back to the fair, spent that entire $50 to win her the stupid stuffed animal that's still sitting in our house, but I want her, baby. I was willing to do whatever it took because I was in love. And see, we, then we get past that and we actually get married and, and real life starts to hit and it's so easy to forget what it was like. It's so easy to ignore those things that we did in the beginning. And, and Jesus here is telling the church in Laodicea, hey, remember where you came from. Remember that first love. Remember what it was like and go back and do those things again. And Paul says the same thing to the church in Colossae. He says, so then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Don't stop doing what you were doing in the beginning. Keep focusing on Jesus. Because let's face it, guys, when you first fall in love with that girl, you want to spend all your time with her. You'll do anything you can to get her attention and do whatever it takes. And then as time goes on, all of a sudden, there's other things you want to give attention to. And he's saying, hey, no, keep giving Jesus the attention. Keep giving Jesus the attention. And in marriage, keep giving your wife the attention. <laughs> it makes a difference. And then in verse 7, he goes on to say, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Now, I'm not much of a, a gardener. Uh, my dad is an incredible gardener. He grows large gardens every year, and he grows all kind of flowers and plants and things, and he's just got a green thumb. His dad had it too. Somehow it skipped a generation with me. I kill cactus. I'm not good at it. Um, I did. He gave me a... a 
couple of months ago, he gave me two little things off of a, a, some type of bush he had out there. I can't think of what it's called. And I put them in two different pots. One of them died within a week. The other one is hanging on barely still. And I don't even know what I'm, what I'm doing. But I did look up some stuff to try to understand this because it says rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith. What does it mean to be rooted and built up in Jesus? Well, I started thinking about plants and trees and, and, and that they... They're in the ground, and you see what's above the ground, but they have roots, and those roots make a difference. What do those roots do? Well, there's, here's what I learned about roots, is that they, they have three primary functions. They have three major jobs that they're supposed to do. One, absorbing, where'd it go? absorbing water and minerals. So the roots that are under the plant, you don't see those. Those are in the ground. You can't see them, but they're absorbing water and minerals in order to feed that plant so that that plant can be vibrant, so that plant can produce whatever it's supposed to produce. And then number two, anchoring and supporting the plant. They're there to make sure the plant doesn't fall over. You've seen these great big huge oak trees and they have these gigantic roots underneath. Why? Because the larger the root, the larger the tree. And the stronger the root, the more the, the plant or the tree can hold on and, and it can withstand whatever weather comes its way. Whatever's coming at it, it can, take, it can take it because of the support of the roots. And then also thirdly, storing food. It stores the nutrients that it needs so that at the right time it has what it needs in order to thrive and, and, and grow what it's supposed to grow. The roots are there for a reason and Paul is saying, hey, you need to be rooted and built up in Jesus the same way a plant is is rooted and built up. You need to trust that Jesus is going to give you what you need. He's going to be there for your strength and your support. He's going to be there to give you the nutrients you need. He's going to be there to store what's needed for later that you don't even know you're going to need. And without him, you're not going to produce the fruit you need. Without him, you're not going to be able to survive the storms when they come. Without him, you can't be who he created you to be. He is the root of your life. He's the center of everything we do. Rooted and built up, strengthened in him. Then in verse 8 he says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the element, elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. See, this world's going to offer you all kind of ideas. It's going to offer you conspiracy theories. It's going to offer you things that's going to say, that the world loves to say, yeah, you know, it, it's okay to believe your little Christian thoughts, but understand that all religions have value. I believe all people have value. Here's the thing. There's a difference in Christianity and other religions because in Christianity, Jesus is the center. And he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Every other religion in the world, you have to work your way to whatever God is. In Jesus, he came to, in Christianity, Jesus came to us. And it's not about a religion, it's about a relationship. And this world is going to give you all kind of things. It's going to, it, it's going to, te it's going to tell you all kind of things that, that it's going to say is important. And it's there to distract you from who Jesus really is. It's there to distract you from what the truth is. It looks good, it sounds good, it feels good. But it's not complete truth. So we have to be able to compare it, and we're going to talk more about that in a minute. In verse 9, he goes on to say, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. This is reiterating back to chapter 1 and verse 19 when he said, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. 
All the fullness of the deity, everything that is God dwells in Jesus. Paul here is making it clear that Jesus is the center of it all. We, we as Christians believe in what's called the Trinity, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Those, there's one God, there's only one God, but he's seen in three different ways, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, so that he can interact with us in the ways that he needs to and we can understand him better. Jesus, though, came as God on earth, fully God, fully man, and he takes on all the attributes of God in order to show us what God really is. In order to show us who he really is, he takes on the fullness of the deity, the fullness of God. And he gives us the picture of who God is and what we should pursue. In verse 10, he goes on to say, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. You've been brought to fullness through Jesus. That's the only way we're ever going to get there. The only way we're ever going to be complete is through Jesus. Everything else will only get you partially there. Nothing else can get you to where God created you to be except Jesus. And he says he is the head over every power and authority. This takes me back to Matthew 28 in the Great Commission, starting in verse 18 when he says, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He starts out saying, I've been given all authority over heaven and earth. I've got it all. And because I have the authority and you belong to me, I'm now giving you the authority to go out and make a difference in this world. It's your job now to go and tell them about me and don't worry about how Satan's going to attack. Don't worry about how they're going to receive it. Don't worry about if they're going to accept it or not. You simply do what you're told to do because you now have the authority that I've been given. We have authority through Jesus. He has authority over everything in every spiritual realm. Then he goes on in verse 11 to say, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Now we're going to show a video of a circumcision. Oh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, here's... What is Jesus saying here? I mean, yeah, they, they, there was a religious part to circumcision in, in, in the Jewish faith. It's now done by most, by a lot of people because of the health benefits of it. But here's what he's saying. He's saying Jesus is able, when he comes into your life and he becomes the center of your life and he becomes the most important thing of your life, he's able to then work in your life to take away things that aren't necessary, to give you what's only needed. There are things in our lives that we think are important, that we think are necessary, that we think we want. But when Jesus becomes the center, we're able to then see that those things aren't as important as we think they are. And really, there's something that Jesus has that's better for us than what we thought. And then in, in verse 12, he goes on to give us another beautiful picture of salvation, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Jesus gives us a beautiful picture of, of baptism. We had Camp 662 here just a couple of weeks ago, and since then we've been able to see six teenagers baptized. What a beautiful picture. I love baptism. 
Um, baptism is, is, is one of those things that, that Jesus commanded us to do. It's water baptism where in there we see the picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. When, you're, when, you're, when you go down in the water, it's as if you're burying your old self in your sin and you're coming up out of there fresh and clean and forgiven, raised to new life. And it's such a beautiful picture of salvation and how Jesus makes a difference in our lives. And he's saying, and, and he, he's being able to explain here how, how beautiful that is and that, 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 that through our faith and through what Jesus did as we buried our old life and came back to new, we now have the power of Jesus in our lives to be able to move forward and do what he's called us to do. In verse 13, he continues by saying, when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. You were dead in your sin. See, here's the thing, folks. The Bible teaches that the wages of sin is death. That means if you've ever committed a sin in your life, and you have, you're worthy of death. deserving of death the wages of sin what you earn from sin is death but i love the butts of the bible but the gift of god is eternal life through jesus christ our lord even though i'm worthy of sin even though i'm deserving of sin even though i've earned sin by my own actions my own thoughts my own decisions Jesus says, I love you so much that I don't want you to die. I'm going to pay your sin debt, and I'm going to let you have eternal life and a relationship with God Almighty by going to the cross and dying for you and raising from the dead. Jesus did that, and he's paid our sin debt. Have you ever had a debt paid? You ever had something you owed, and you know you owe it, and you don't know how you're going to pay it, or you're struggling to have to pay it, and then all of a sudden somebody just wipes it out and says, don't worry about it, you don't have to pay me? Man, what an amazing feeling. You ever just been forgiven? You hurt somebody. You did something you know was wrong and the person forgives you freely and completely. What an amazing feeling. And Jesus is saying, yes, even though you deserve death, even though you deserve separation from God, I'm not going to let that happen. I'm going to wipe away your debt. And when God looks at me someday, he's not going to look at Dwindle and say, Dwindle, don't you remember when you did this and this and this and this? How dare you? No, he's going to look at me and say, Dwindle, do you remember when Jesus died on the cross and his blood covered your sin? And I don't see any sin you've ever committed because I see my son. I see your debt as being wiped out and clean. What an amazing thing that Christ has done for us. And he is so worthy to be the center of our lives. In verse 15, he says, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. Folks, Jesus won a victory when he came back from the dead. And he didn't just defeat Satan. He didn't just defeat death. He didn't just defeat sin. Oh, let me tell you, he defeated them publicly. He defeated them decisively. Everybody knew what was going on. The, the death, burial, and resurrection is one of the most documented, one of the, the most historically proven facts in history. 
It's amazing the, the proof out there that this happened. And the thing is, it happened that day very publicly when they beat him and they whipped him and they murdered him on that cross. It was public. They buried him in that tomb. It was public. And over 500 people saw him alive after he rose from the dead. It was public. And he publicly defeated Satan. He publicly defeated death. And he says he wants us to have that same victory. In verse 16, he goes on to say, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. See, here's the thing. The Jewish Christians of this day were trying to make new Christians who were not Jewish follow the same traditions and festivals and things that the Jews had been following their whole lives. And what Paul is saying is, you don't have to do that. It's okay if you want to follow those festivals, but you're not required to. Why? Because the festivals and all the rules in the Old Testament, every one of them were pointing to Jesus. They were all about the fact that a Messiah was coming, that the Christ was coming. They all pointed to Jesus. Once Jesus came to earth and died on that cross and rose from the dead, he fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the prophecies. He fulfilled everything that was needed through those festivals. So they're not needed anymore because they were pointing to Jesus and Jesus is better than what was pointing to him. He fulfilled what those festivals did. So now you don't have to follow all those traditions. You don't have to follow all those rules. If you want to, it's okay. If you get something out of it, go for it. But it's not a requirement for Christians. And then in verse 18, or, well, let me tell you, I, I do want to remind, uh, tell you this one story. When I was a pastor down in Oxford, Mississippi, I was out in the country. There was a farmer out there that I was able to get to know, and I led him to the Lord. He, he became a Christian and started going to my church. And um, he came to me one Sunday and said, hey, preacher, do I got to quit preaching or do I got to quit smoking now that I'm a Christian? I said, I don't know, do you? He said, that's why I'm asking you. You're the preacher. I said, well, it's not my job to tell you what you can and can't do. Here's the thing. I said, why don't you go home, pray about it this week? Study the word of God. You ask God, does he want you to quit smoking? And then you let, him, let me know what he says. So he went back. He came back to me later and he said, hey, preacher, I had to quit smoking. I said, you did? He said, yeah. I said, why is that? He said, God told me to. I said, okay, that's good. Now, here's the thing, folks. I think smoking is bad for you. I think it's unhealthy. I think it's hurting you. If you're a smoker, God bless you, but I think you're messing up. It's bad on your lungs. However... I can't stand up here and tell you that if you're a smoker, you're going to hell. I can't stand up here and tell you if you're a smoker, you're not really a Christian. I can't tell you if you're a smoker, then you're breaking some sacred law. And this man, I couldn't look at him and say, no, you have to quit smoking now that you're a Christian. That's the easy thing to do. The easy thing to do is set up a bunch of rules and say, you have to do this, 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 and this, and you can never do this, 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 and this. But that's not what scripture teaches. What scripture teaches is we each have the ability to make decisions and sometimes God's going to convict me of things he might not convict you of and vice versa. There are things in my life that are strong convictions that I can't come to you and say you have to do it the way I'm doing it. I'm doing it this way because of the circumstances in my life and what God taught me. 
He goes on then in in verse 18 to say, do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. This is talking about super spiritual people. You ever been around one of them? Super spiritual people that think you got to do it my way. This is what I've learned. And if you don't follow my rules, then you can't really be a Christian. I'm going to tell you, I used to be one of those at one point, to be honest. Legalism to me is easy. I actually like, in my flesh, I like legalism. I like to have a set of rules. I like to know what's right and wrong. I'm a a quality manager for the company I work for. And part of my job is to make sure that we have rules in place and that we have procedures in place and that people follow those procedures. And I like that because then if it says in this document that you have to do one, two, and three, and you only do one and three, I can come to you and say, nope, you messed up. You had to do two also. And see, that's fun. That's fun, just making people correct things. I don't like it when they make me correct things, but I like it when I get to correct others. And yet, in the spiritual world, in our Christian life, in our walk with Christ, it's not always that easy. It's not always so simple as a set of rules. And there are a lot of highly spiritual people out there who want you to think you have to be on their level or you're not really there. And they want to impose their rules and their regulations and their, their convictions on you. When people, when people get off of their super spiritual high horses, then a lot of times what they find out is they've actually lost a connection with Jesus. They're all about following the rules and they're all about doing what's right. But they've lost the power of that connection of just knowing Jesus intimately. Those of you that are married, you know, there's a big difference in exactly what your wife says and what she really wants. And if you understand that statement, you understand what I was just talking about. (laughs) She can't always lay it out word for word, but she expects you to understand the significance of what she's really wanting. And men, if we're doing our jobs, we figure it out. It's confusing. But again, you go back to that first love, and it's worth it. We go on in the last part of this chapter, verses 20 through 23. He wraps it up by saying this. Since you died with Christ to the elemental elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. This is talking about what we already looked at in verses 16 and 17, but it's dealing with the idea of there's a difference in biblical law and personal conviction. It is so easy to get wrapped up in the law. 
And yet over and over we see in the New Testament how we're taught that it's all about our relationship, not some religious laws. Are there rules? Yeah. There are certain things the Bible's very clear about. There are certain things that the Bible says you, should, you do not do this, you do not do this, you do not do this. Why? Because he knows those things are going to harm you and they're not going to be what's best for your life. There are certain things that he says you should do this, you should do this, you should do this. Why? Because he knows those things are best for you and they're going to make you better in the end. Any law, any rule that Jesus gives, it's for your best. But outside of those rules, there's a lot of things that come down to personal conviction. What is God saying to you? What is he wanting to do in your life right now? See, like I said earlier, there was nothing wrong with the Jewish Christians celebrating the festivals that they celebrated if they wanted to keep doing that. It was wrong for them to insist that others do the same thing. There are certain things we do as churches that that are just tradition that we enjoy and we like doing them. But it doesn't mean if we stop doing them that it's wrong. It doesn't mean if another church doesn't do the same thing that they're wrong. And it doesn't mean because another church is doing it that we have to. There is a difference because it's all about Jesus being the center and what are we getting from him? How is our relationship with Jesus impacting our lives? Because we find our fulfillment, we find our hope, we find our satisfaction, we find our success in Christ alone. And I want to give you three things real quickly to wrap this up. That in Christ alone, if you you focus on Jesus, if you make him the center in Christ alone, you'll find these three things based on the passages that we just read here in Colossians chapter two. First of all, in Christ alone, you find your strength. This was back in verses six and seven, but we talked about that and the roots and and, and the strength you get there. And going back to the first, I'm gonna tell you, it's really, really easy to fall into the traps of this world. It's really easy to fall into the lies of Satan and the things that your friends say that sounds so good. And oh, it seems to make sense. And they'll even quote scripture sometimes to get you to believe it's okay. It's so easy and it's so hard to stand up to those people that you want to be friends with and those people that you, that you have to, to associate with on a regular basis. It's so hard to take a stand for things that seem outdated today because the rest of the world doesn't accept the word of God. And yet, in Christ alone, you will find the strength to stand. When you are rooted and built up in Jesus, you have strength to stand on truth. You don't have to do it in an ugly way. I've got friends, I've got a lot of friends now that that are not Christians, that don't claim to be Christians, don't want to be Christians, to be honest. We still have conversations. They know I'm a Christian. They know that I believe the word of God. They know some of my, a lot of my stances on, on a lot of issues of today. And we disagree, but we still love and respect each other. But it is so hard sometimes to be with those people and be able to, Speak truth, knowing that they don't believe the same thing I believe. And yet I'm able to find strength when I'm grounded in Jesus. When I'm rooted and built up in him, the strength is there. 
When I'm staying away from Jesus, when I'm not focusing on him, when I'm focusing on the rest of the world, when, all the, when the only thing that's getting into my mind is what I'm watching on TV and listening to on the radio and what the people are saying on Twitter, Lord, help us. We are, man, it is so hard to have strength. But when I'm focused on Jesus and he's the center, I find strength. In Christ alone, you find your strength. In Christ alone, you find your salvation. Let's face it, we talked about that back in verses 13 and 14, but, but folks, there is no salvation outside of Jesus. If you think you're going to get to heaven someday simply because you went to church, you're lying to yourself. If you think you're going to get to, G- to heaven someday simply because you prayed a prayer sometime, you're lying to yourself. Or if you think because you're a good person, you're lying to yourself. The truth is, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. There is only one way to a relationship with God. There is only one way to peace. There is only one way to salvation, and that is through the name of Jesus. Jesus Christ is the center of salvation. He is who gives us salvation. He is the one who keeps our salvation. He is the one who takes us into a relationship with God. In Christ alone you find your salvation, not through any other means. And then thirdly, in Christ alone you find your standard. We saw that in verses 16 through 17 as well as 20 through 23. What do I mean by that? I mean it's so hard as we've already talked about to have a set of of standards in your life that says this is what I really believe and this is what I'm going to live by. This is how I'm going to make my decisions. This is how I'm going to decide who I hang out with and where I go and what I do and what's acceptable in my home. And those standards are set by the word of God and spending time with Jesus. And outside of that, those standards become blurry and it becomes so easy to see everything else the world is doing and say, yeah, but what about this? Can I just do this? And here's what happens with sin so many times is, is there, there's a barrier there that says if I cross this line, there's sin. And what we want to do as Christians, instead of stay back here and hang out with Jesus and say, I don't want to get close to it, we walk up here and say, how close can I get without falling? How close can I really get without falling? And we keep edging until boom. And we've lost something important to us. In Christ alone, you find your standard. It's not about what feels good. It's not about what the world is saying. It's not about what's popular. It's about who Jesus is. Because everything he does is to make you better and to glorify God. first service I did this I won't do it again because I think it's important for everyone to hear but Braden you just got to experience leading a youth camp and it's your first one isn't it to lead six kids were baptized after that and I heard I watched the videos I, I was sick last week and wasn't here I was out of town the week before that so I've missed the last two Sundays and but I watched the videos and I got to hear Pastor Troy one of those Sundays talk about how everybody reacted to you at camp and what an impact you made. I guess it was two weeks ago, right after camp. And, and I remember those feelings because as a young man, I became a, a youth pastor when I was a freshman in college. And, and then I became a pastor at a very young age. And there was a time when we were living in Arkansas, we had an association of churches and we, we had a campground up there that we used. And 
We had youth camp with over 300 kids and a children's camp with over 250. And I was heavily involved in the youth camp and I was the leader of the children's camp for three years in a row. And I remember those feelings and how exciting it was and how awesome it was to know that these kids were being impacted by the gospel. It was so, it was tiring, but it was fun. And it was so rewarding. And then I became a pastor and I began to, and I moved and, and at one point was at a church where we saw it grow from just over, just around 100 people to over 350 in a little over two years. And God was blessing and I was getting to speak at all kinds of things. And my name was raising up and I was becoming known. And Pastor Braden, if I could tell you anything, do whatever it takes to make sure Jesus is the center of your life and your ministry. Because when you become the center, it's easy to fall. And once you fall, you've lost the ability to reach thousands of people who you could have reached had you simply stayed faithful. I'm so grateful that God still allows me to preach from time to time. I'm so grateful that because of his grace, he still allows me to have ministry and do things. But I promise you, there's no impact I can make today as the impact I would have made had I simply stayed faithful. Because at one point in my life, I lost focus and I focused on me and I lost it all. When we focus on ourselves or we focus on the world or we focus what's easy or popular, it is so easy to miss out on what's best. When we focus on Jesus, it's not only what's best for us, it's what's best for everyone around us. He is the center of it all. And in Christ alone, you will find the strength. In Christ alone, you will find your salvation. In Christ alone, you will find your standard for living. Anything else, and you're missing out on God's best. <laughs>